You're listening to week four of Engage. Engage in the church by serving and giving. For more information about Paragon Church, please visit our website at paragonchurch.com. As you are here today, I I want to let you know something. If this is the first time that you've ever been here before, you need to know something about me. Most everybody else in here does know this, but I love sports. I love competition, and I love games. And this morning, I am wearing my Christmas present that I got in October. Uh, It is a Green Bay Packers customized number eight jersey with my name on the back. It was something that I wanted forever. Christy got it for me, but she gave it to me early because she knows me so well that when football season is over, all my football stuff goes into the shed until September, and then baseball stuff comes out in March. So February is a very long month for me, by the way. But uh, the reality is, is that, that she, has, she gave this to me back in October knowing that I wouldn't wear it for very much. So today, for me, today is the last day of the actual football season, because nobody cares that much about next week. Uh, but uh, the Pro Bowl, the Pro Bowl is on today, and I got a couple of players still in that, so I decided I'd wear it today. But I also decided I'd wear it today um, because, uh, you know, I, I wanted to talk about being a part of the team. And uh, as I wear this jersey today, there's some things I want to tell you. The reason why I wanted a custom jersey to even to begin with is this. Maybe you've bought a jersey before from some player on some team, and then that player decided he was going to go get more money someplace else. Well, I realized that if I got my own, this guy wasn't going to change teams. So I could keep this for as long as I was alive, and it's all good with that. Uh, Also had the number eight on it for two reasons. Number one, because since I was a little kid, my favorite number has been eight, thanks to Cal Ripken Jr. of the Baltimore Orioles, who never got traded from a team, so that was good for him. And then also, because there's eight people in my family, so the sellers eight all kind of works together with it all. And as I, I've been doing this, I, I, I'll let you know this. I've been a Green Bay Packers fan for a long time. Uh, I've been a Green Bay Packers fan since I was 10 years old. Uh, it was a product of divorce. My parents got divorced when I was nine, uh, and my mom remarried a, a guy from Wisconsin, and his parents, my grandparents, said, we're not going to have anything else in our house, so I became a Packers fan. Uh, before I became a Packers fan, though, I was actually a Los Angeles Rams fan. So I do have just a little bit for next week, and I want to see the Patriots lose. But the, the, the reality is, is um, I was a Packers, or a, a Packers fan when I finally understood what football was really all about. Uh, I was a Packers fan in their good times. I was a Packers fan in their bad times. And I'm still a Packers fan, and they're even worse times as of right now. But the, the reality is, as you look at football, Many of us can call ourselves a fan. If you look at baseball, you can call yourself a fan. If you're a NASCAR fan, we're fans, and we call something that we're a fan of my team. Many of us will call it my team. This is my team, and this is the one that I'm a fan of. And when it comes to fandom, I think I'm a pretty big fan. I'll even occasionally spring the money to go and buy a ticket to go to the game. I'll buy shirts. I'll buy jerseys. I'll invest in that sort of way. I'll listen to the pregame interviews and all the hype that they talk about. I'll listen to the postgame conferences. I'll spend time on a Sunday afternoon watching the game, absorbing the game, yelling at the television, all the different things. And maybe you're in the same boat as I am. And maybe it's not football, but maybe it's a different sport, or maybe it's something along those lines where we really begin to, to absorb it, and we, we read all the things that people are writing, we read all the comments that are below it, all the, the armchair quarterbacks that think they know better than the coach, we become one of those armchair quarterbacks that think we know better than the coach, we have all of these discussions with other people, 
And it's all about feeling the joy when they win, feeling the pain when they lose. And unfortunately, all the teams that I cheer for have this tendency to give me more pain than they do joy. Uh, being a Phoenix Suns fan, being an Arizona Coyotes fan, both are in last place in their divisions. Uh, being a Packers fan, only the Lions are worse. And, uh, you know, being, uh, being a Diamondbacks fan who are in their rebuilding year this year, so I'm really excited about that. Um, but, but the reality, as we begin to look at it, I think about my teams. But here's the question I have. As I lifted off all the things that make me a fan, as I, as I listed off all the, the ways that I invest in my team, at what point in time can I say that I am a part of the team? At what point in time can I say that I am a, a part of the team? Just be going further than just being calling it my team, but to say that I am an actual part, not just a fan, but an actual member of the team, of what makes the team win or what makes the team lose. Did you know they're going to play a Super Bowl next week? And at the end of that Super Bowl, there's going to be crowned a champion. And that champion, they're going to get rings to say that we won Super Bowl 53. Do you know how many people are on an active roster for a football team? 53. 53 men are out there battling, doing all the things. But do you know how many rings the NFL will pay to give to a team? 150. You know why there's 150? Because there are guys on the practice squad, there are guys on injured reserve, there are coaches, there are assistant coaches, there's men and women in the training room, there's water bottle guys, girls, all that kind of stuff. Like that. They all get a ring. Do you know why they all get a ring? Because they're all part of the team. They're all part of the success of the team. They're all part of the ones that take that step. And, you know, I believe that they're part of this, this active, moving definition of what it means to be a part. They're not just fans. See, a fan defined as this. It's an enthusiastic devotee, usually a spectator or an admirer. Usually a spectator or an admirer. These people aren't just admiring. They, these people aren't just on the sidelines spectating. They are a part of the team. They are actively involved, and they're going to be what we call this last, since the beginning of the year, engaged. They're engaged. They're plugged in. They're a part of it all. They see the vision, and they're accomplishing the goals. They're not just watching. And as I share this, I want you to know this. I believe, I mean, like I said, I like sports, I like competition, I like games, so I kind of relate things in life to that. But I believe church is a team sport. I believe church is a team sport. And in a team sport and in actual sports, there's a lot of things that I believe should be in common. Whether you're playing sports or you're part of a church, you should both have the desire to win. If you're playing uh, a sport or you are in church, you should be able to distinguish who's on what team. If you are a part of a church or you're playing a sport, you should both have the desire to play no matter the weather conditions. Two weeks ago, we could have fit everybody in this section right here because there was a threat of snow. And the reality is people go to a football game if that's the way. People go to a sporting event if that's the way. It should be this way. We should also have the same passion to study and game plan against the, the opponent. We should listen to the coach and abide by the rules. We should actually know the rules. These are things that should happen. There should be a desire to give all to the team. 
That should happen in sports, and that should happen in church. But I also say the word should very heavy emphasized because it's not always the case. But since the beginning of the year, we've been talking about being engaged. Talk about being engaged in, in the church. Talk about being engaged with God. Talk about being engaged in the gospel, what God would have us to do. And really, when, when it comes right down to it, the word engaged means to not be disengaged, to not just be coasting, but instead be putting your full effort into it. Have you ever watched a sporting event where somebody is just coasting? And you almost get upset that they're not engaged in the sport. They're getting paid to do this. They're getting the things that they need to have, and they're not putting their full effort into it. It's one of those things that drives me crazy. But here's the thing that I also see. As we are engaged, why should we be engaged? Why should we care? Why should we put our effort into it? And that's why we started off the very first week with being engaged with God. Being engaged with him in prayer. Because if you want to stick with the sports terminology, God is the owner. As a matter of fact, we'll go bigger than God is the owner. God is actually the creator of the game. He is the creator of the game. He wrote the rule book. He's the one that has clearly defined the rules of the game and the point of the game. And just a little side note here for you. Um, I'm not sure if, if you are on track with me here or not, so I'm going to do a little shift from football to a different game. Because I believe in every game, in every game, there are the actual rules and there are the house rules. Yes, so somebody already knew where I was going with this. Because in the actual rules, it's all written out book. It tells us all the things we do. But then there's some things that are left up to interpretation. If you watched the Rams and the uh, Saints last week, there was a penalty at the end of the game that was interpreted as not being a penalty. I'm sure there was some money that helped that interpretation happen. But the, the, the whole thing is, yeah, there's, there's some Saint fans in here that are like, go a little further with that, would you please, Matt? Um, the, but, but the thing is, is that when we look at the written rules, we look at the actual rules, then we look at the house rules. But maybe, like I said, you're not a football person. But everybody in here, I believe, is an UNO player. An UNO player. Now, if, if you type in the official rules of in Google and leave it blank, you know what the immediate first fill-in is? It's UNO. Because everybody knows the actual rules and then everybody has their own house rules. We change the rules up a little bit. As a matter of fact, I just have to ask you a question here, a couple of questions, because when Uno comes up at our house, the rules seem to change to whoever wants to win. And so um, uh, when it comes to a draw two card, if somebody places a draw two card, does the next player have the ability to stack on that so the next person draws four after them, or do they just have to draw two? That's a rule in our house that it's a stack, unless it's you having to get more taken for you, and you're like, nope, that's not it. You have to take two. You know, there's always the switching of the rules. How about this? Do you take one card if you can't play a card, or do you take multiple cards until you can actually play? See, there's some different people talking about yeah, because there's people thinking they're like, oh, yeah, and they point to the person next to you like, cheater, that's the way you're supposed to play. I told you that's the way you're supposed to play. How about this? If someone lays down a blue four, can you put down a three and a one to match it? I'm just going to let you know. It became a house rule that became an actual game. There is now a card game called Dose, and that's how you play it. It is it 
It is at the store right now. You can go down and check out Dose, but one of the things you do is you can add cards to make up for the one that was laid down. As crazy as that is. And then you get rid of two cards instead of one. It's a great thing. It's a beautiful thing. But, you know, it's amazing when we take house rules and we apply them or we replace them with the actual rules. And you begin to look at some things in our life. I'll tell you this because I believe God created the game. I believe God created the rules, but we have a tendency to want to change the rules. To say, well, I know that's what you said, but our house rules are this. And the house rules sometimes come from the house of the church. Sometimes they come from me personally. And so what I wanted to do today, I wanted to look and see what would happen if we were in constant communication with the game's creator. If we are constantly in communication and constantly engaged in the rule book, would we see our engagement necessity? Would we see our engagement calling differently than we do when we make up the excuses on why we don't want to engage? Would we say, yes, I see the gospel. I know the gospel. I live the gospel. I want to apply the gospel, and I want to share the gospel. We've talked about for the last two weeks. Would we see that differently if we understood the rules of the game, what we've been called to do, what we've been commissioned to do, what God has laid out there in front of us? You know, it's amazing to look and see. Paul had to talk about it to the church 2,000 years ago, still going on in the church today. Look if you have your Bibles with you. We're going to be going to lots of verses, so you're going to have to be flipping fast or have to thumb through it real quick on your phone. But the first one I want to look at today is 1 Corinthians chapter 9, verses 23 through 27. As Paul is, is laying out here the idea of, of running and winning the game, and there is a prize at the end, and we're going to do it God's way. It says this in verse 23. Now I do all this because of the gospel, that I may share in the blessings. Don't you know that the runners in a stadium all race, but only one receives a prize? Run in such a way to win the prize. Now, everyone who competes exercises self-control in everything. They do it to receive a perishable crown, but we an imperishable crown. So I do not run like the one who aimlessly runs or box like the one beating the air. Instead, I discipline my body and bring it under strict control so that after preaching to others, I myself might not be disqualified. He's talking about here the rules. I I want to do, because of what the gospel has called me to do, I want to live my life according to what God has for standard. The second thing I want to show is is not quite up to the Paul's level, but a guy by the name of Vince. Vince Lombardi. He he wrote this, uh, speaking to the, the Green Bay Packers, Super Bowl winning coach. He said this about winning, about following these rules. Winning is not a sometime thing. It's an all the time thing. You don't win once in a while. You don't do things right once in a while. You do them right all the time. Winning is a habit. Unfortunately, so is losing. He continues on by saying, every time a football player goes to play his trade, he's got to play from the ground up, from the soles of his feet right to the top of his head. Every inch of him has to play. Every inch of him has to play. Winning is a habit. Paul says it. Winning is a habit. We have to be spiritually disciplined. You know what doesn't happen in our life? We don't just naturally drift into being spiritually disciplined. We don't just naturally go to our knees in prayer. We don't just naturally say, you know what? I want to discipline my life and stop beating the air. I have a goal in mind. No, you have to understand that winning is a habit, and unfortunately, so is losing. So is losing. So as we look at this, I believe that we have to understand that the reason why preseason is so important in sports, spring training will be starting here very soon, 
why spring training is so important, why, why the off-season is so important, not just to go into gluttony and be able to do these things and just go, you know, I'll play when the season gets here. It's because we have to continually be training. And I believe it the same way in our own lives as we engage with God and engage in his gospel, as we engage to know him better, as we engage to know that gospel, as we engage to apply that gospel, as we engage to live it out and share that gospel. It's not something that's just going to happen at the snap of the fingers. It's something we have to be disciplined to do. But how do we get disciplined to do it? And who's going to challenge us? Well, I believe that's why I call church a team sport, because we're working together. We're working together in all of this. And today we're going to take that engagement one step further and talk about how to be engaged in the church. How to be engaged in the church. See, if you were back with us uh, in August and in September, you'll know we talked about our five core values. And our five core values can be found on the bulletin. They can be found on our website. They can be found on the wall right outside here in the lobby area. They can be found on this, this, uh, this pull-up sign right here. But here they are too in front of you. I can't do life alone. So first thing we talked about, I can't do life alone. Well, guess what? That means get connected. Next week we're going to talk about engage and connection, but also being engaged with God. We can't do life alone. Second one is save people, serve people. Find a place to serve. Find a place to be engaged in that way of lifting others up and helping other people grow. Found people, find people. Being engaged in the gospel. Being engaged in what God has called us to do. I can't outgive God. We talk about the five T's, the time and the talents and the treasures and the temple and the testimony. We talk about these five T's and how they can apply to our lives, how we give out of those things that God has already given us and that growing people change. I'll guarantee you that if you are engaged with God and you are engaged with the gospel and you're engaged in the church and you're engaged in the community, you will change. You will grow. And that is what part of the win actually is, is it not? I mean, if Christianity were a game, how would you define a win? What would be the win in your book? Would it be not going and making disciples and being a disciple yourself? Wouldn't that be it? Going and sharing the gospel, seeing people grow in Christ and you yourself growing in Christ? That's what this engagement is. That's why we want to win. And really, as we talk about engage, we cover these statements, I'll tell you, it's for the believers engaging in the church to change and coming together to do their part, to celebrate the wins, and to give back what God has already given us. To give back to him our lives. To give back to him our time and our talents and our treasures and our testimonies. And doing our part. See, church is a team sport. If you know anything about a team, there are different people on the team that have different roles and different responsibilities. If you had a whole team of quarterbacks, it's not going to work real well. If you had a whole team of linemen, you're going to be really slow. The, the, The reality is, is that every person has a spot. Every person has something. We're not here to just be fans. We're not just here to be on the sidelines cheering. We're here to be a part of the game. And my challenge today is to be a part of the team, to, to step off of the sidelines, to step out of the stands, and to be a part of the team. So I got to thinking about this. Can you imagine next week that the Rams and the, and the Patriots, they're in the Super Bowl, and Tom Brady gets all dressed up, and I know some of you, and as soon as I say that name, it just makes your skin crawl. I understand that, mine too. But the fact is, he's got a lot more rings than I do, so I can't say much about it. The reality in it, though, if he were to get all dressed up, and a sideline reporter come up to him, and he's just standing there, and they're like, Tom, 
what are you going to do today? He's like, you know what I'm going to do today, guys? I'm just going to sit this one out. I mean, the Rams would be really excited. Rams fans would be just tremendously excited if he sat that one out. But if he said, I'm just going to sit this one out, I got all dressed up and stuff. I like the way the uniform looks. It looks good on me. What can I say? I'm just that kind of guy. But I don't think I'm going to, I don't want to get it dirty today. And so I'm just not going to play. People would be in awe. Like, what in the world? What do you do this for? Why do you get together on a Sunday to do this? What if he told Bill Belichick? He said, Bill, you know, you know the game plan so much better. By the way, if you don't know who Bill Belichick is, the coach of the New England Patriots, you know the game plan so much better than I do. And you know the, the opposing defensive schemes so much better than I do. Why don't you play for me? Why don't you put on my jersey, go out there and play for me? Because sometimes even in the church we do that too. Well, you know the game plan better, so why don't you go out there and do that? I mean, it would be ridiculous to say it that way. What if the offensive linemen who only get known when what happens? The penalty. That's right. Nobody knows the offensive linemen until there's a holding or an illegal hands in the face or something like that. What if the offensive linemen are like, you know what? Nobody recognizes me. I'm just not going to play today. And once again, the Rams fan would cheer. They'd be like, yes, just go ahead and step to the side and let us crush Tom Brady. That would be okay. <laughs> and and the, when you look at these kind of things, sometimes when we look at it being a team sport, everybody has their job. But oftentimes we forget that church is a team sport, that everybody has their job. When everybody does their part, it gives the team the best chance to win. A couple weeks ago, a guy by the name of Sebastian Janikowski, the largest lineman to play kicker, um, he... Uh, he went out at the end of the first half to kick a long field goal, and he's older than I am. And, and he went out there to kick, and he pulled something in his leg, and he couldn't play in the second half. I can't say that's the reason why the Seattle Seahawks lost, but it sure did change the game plan for the rest of the second half to not have a kicker. I mean, that changes the game plan. If you, you can make do, but when you have to change the game plan for that kind of thing, it makes things a whole lot more difficult. Everybody needs to do their part. Can I ask you this question? What ministry in the church could operate if nobody served in it? What ministry in the church could operate if nobody served in it? What ministry, let's, add, let's change that question, what ministry could operate better if more people served in it? I, I, think, I think we know the answer, but sometimes we, we forget that we need to be engaged in the church. See, we all have talents that we need to be used. We've all been equipped. We've all been dressed up for battle. We're ready for this thing. You know, I refer back to uh, one of my favorite movies of all time, which is Braveheart. And, and there's a scene where they're all dressed up, and they're, they got all their war paint on. And they're, and they're like, oh, should we, should we go home? And the big, huge guy with the red beard, and he's like, I didn't get dressed up for nothing. You know, and, and that's it. We, we don't get dressed up on a Sunday morning for nothing. We, we're ready for battle. We're getting, we're getting all psyched up. We're ready to make this thing happen. And th- think about this. We're in the huddle right now. This is, our, this is our holy huddle. And we're in the huddle right now, but can you imagine that next Sunday that, that the Patriots are huddled up on one side and the Rams are huddled up on the other side and neither one of them ever breaks the huddle? Can you imagine that? What a boring game. <laughs> penalty, penalty. You know, that's all it would be, just marching backwards the whole time. And, and the reality is we're in a huddle here, but can you imagine if somebody in the huddle was like, well, hey, Tom, I know we're supposed to go out there and I know you've told us to play. I know you told us what to do. Each one of our job assignments is right here. But it's really warm in here. And it's much safer in here. I'm not going to get hurt if I, if I stay in here. So I'm just going to, let's just, let's just keep huddling. 
sometimes I think we have that same mentality in the church. Let's just, let's just keep huddling. We don't want to go out there into that dangerous world, the ugly world of all the things that are there. But we have to take the next step. We have to get out of the huddle. And, and the thing I think we have to understand is why we are here. Because we are not here to huddle up. That's not the way the game is played. The creator of the game has given us the rule book, and it wasn't about huddling up. Huddling up is a part of the play, but not the entire thing. It's for us to go and play the game. And I, I want to challenge you by, by sharing just a couple of things here about serving, about being a part, about being engaged. And the first one is this, that we have to realize that we were created to serve. We were created to serve. Ephesians chapter 2, verse 10. It tells us these words. It says, For we are His workmanship, created in Christ Jesus for good works, which God prepared ahead of time for us to do. If you take notes or write in your Bible, can you circle or highlight the word workmanship? Because that word workmanship in the Bible is actually, the way Paul wrote it, is an epic poem or an epic masterpiece of a writing. That God is writing your epic story for you to do something. And what's it say there? It says he's already prepared ahead of time for us to do. And he's created us in Christ Jesus for what? For good works. That we're supposed to go and we're supposed to do because that's what he has created us for. He has put us in a, a way of moving forward to be used. Now, let me, let me ask you, how many, uh, how many carpenters are in here or at least weekend warrior carpenters are in here. Any of you guys? Good, okay. So most of you who didn't raise your hands, uh, the people who did, they have a really cool tool belt. I don't have one of those. But on that tool belt, there's generally a hammer hanging on one side. There is a tape measure connected to the other side. There's some screwdrivers maybe back here in the back pocket. There's a thing full of nails and all of that stuff. As a person who doesn't do those things very well, I have used a tape measure before to hammer in a nail. Because I didn't want to go get my hammer because I didn't have one on my hip on my belt. So I've used it. Now, the function of doing what I needed to do, it got the nail into the wall. It wasn't good for the tape measure. And I can guarantee you when Stanley made the tape measure, when Cobalt made the tape measure, when Craftsman made the tape measure, they weren't thinking we should put a little thing on here so it could be a hammer too. <laughs> See, it, it had a purpose. Its purpose is, is to measure. Just like a screwdriver's purpose is, is to screw something in. Just like a hammer is to hammer something in. The best way for those things to happen is be used for what they're supposed to be used for by the maker who made them or the person who is the master craftsman who is going to use them. God has made us. We are his workmanship, and we've been made for good works. Maybe you're a hammer. Maybe you're a tape measure. Maybe you're just a simple screwdriver. Maybe you're the nail. I don't know, whatever you are. But be what God has called you to be and be used for that. Be used for that purpose. Be used in the hands of that master craftsman. See, we were created to serve. Second, we're saved to serve. Romans chapter 12, verses 1 and 2 says this. Therefore, brothers and sisters, in view of the mercies of God, I urge you to present your bodies as a living sacrifice, holy and pleasing to God. This is your true worship. Do not be conformed to this age. But be transformed by the renewing of your mind so that you may discern what is good, pleasing, and the perfect will of God. Did you know the chief characteristic of the life of Jesus was and is service? Now, some people think, well, he, he taught and he healed and he, he did all of these things. But wouldn't you put all of the things that he did under the area of service? Because he says in the book of Mark, I came to serve and not be served. 
I came to lay down my life as a ransom for many because I loved all these people, because I love all these people. I'm willing to step down out of heaven for people so they can have eternal life. I'm willing to serve them. And as we serve, we are understood that we have been saved, but not just saved to sit in our holy huddle, but saved to have a purpose, and that purpose is to go do the same thing that Jesus did, to go love on others, to go serve others. Sometimes I think we think that we're just not that important, but I believe that God has a plan for each and every one of us. And we make a decision to walk by faith, to engage with him, to connect with him, to have him renew our minds, like it says there, to present your bodies as true sacrifices, to have your mind transformed and renewed. Man, we'll see his plan. We'll understand his plan. Because sometimes our mind's thinking is on our own rules, but when we are engaged with him, he changes our thinking to understand his rules, that we have a purpose here, and a purpose is to glorify him, and it includes service. We are created to serve. We are saved to serve. Third, we are called to serve. So I just read for you Romans chapter 12, verses 1 and 2, but let me read for you from there on in chapter, th- or chapter 12, verse 3. It says this, For by the grace given to me, I tell everyone among you not to think of himself more highly than he should think. This is a verse that should be tattooed on every football player, by the way. Uh, It says this, instead, think sensibly as God has distributed a measure of faith to each one. Each one would be who? All of us. Now, as we have many parts in one body, and all the parts do not have the same function, in the same way, we who are many are one body in Christ. We're team Christ. We're all one, but we each have our own function. And individually, members of one another, we have our own responsibilities on this team. According to the grace given to us, we have different gifts. If prophecy, use it according to the proportion of one's faith. If service, use it in service. If teaching, in teaching. If exhorting, in exhortation. If giving, give with generosity. Leading, lead with diligence. Showing mercy with cheerfulness. And then he gives us call to the entire Entire team. You know, that's kind of like, here's your function, here's your function, here's your function. This is the entire team, starting in verse 9. Let love be without hypocrisy. Detest evil. Cling to what is good. Love one another deeply as brothers and sisters. Outdo one another in showing honor. Do not lack diligence and zeal. Be fervent in the spirit. Serve the Lord. Rejoice in hope. Be patient in affliction. Be persistent in prayer. Share with the saints in their needs. Pursue hospitality. Bless those who persecute you. Bless and do not curse. Rejoice with those who rejoice. Weep with those who weep. Live in harmony with one another. Do not be proud. Instead, associate with the humble. Do not be wise in your own estimation. He's listening at this call to service. You want another call to service? Check out Ephesians chapter 4, verses 7 through 13. And, and you, you look at that and you'll see that there's this calling that is there. And, and when, when I use the word calling, I, best, I guess the best way for us to, to really truly understand is this. Most of you, if not all of you in this room, probably have a phone that is nearby you right now. If that phone were to ring right now, you have one of three options. You have one option, which is to answer it because you understand the urgency of what it is. Caller ID is going to tell you that. Uh, number two is, caller ID is also going to tell you, I'm just going to ignore that and not even worry about it. Third is you're going to let it go to voicemail. You're going to listen to that voicemail, and you're going to check and see if it's something you really need to invest your time and effort into. Imagine this. It's God calling. As God is calling, as God is speaking to you, he's saying this is what you have to do. You can either A, answer it because you understand the urgency. You can B, you can just deny it and say, I don't need to do that. Or C, you can say, you know what? I'm going to just listen to it for a little bit longer, and I'll decide eventually. 
How are you going to answer his calling to serve? The third thing, or the fourth thing, excuse me, is, is this. We are gifted to serve. We are gifted to serve. See, 1 Peter 4, 10 says this. Just as each one of you has received a gift, again, that each one means all of us. Each one, all of us have gifts. We've received that gift. What are we supposed to do with those gifts? What does it say next there? Use it to serve others. Use it to serve others as good stewards of the very grace of God. If anyone speaks, let it also be as one who speaks of God's words. If anyone serves, let it be from the strength that God provides, so that God may be glorified through Jesus Christ in everything. To Him be the glory and the power forever and ever. Amen. When we look at that, it's all about Christ. I mean, we've all been given gifts. A couple, of, uh, a couple months ago, we had two different shape classes we did. In that shape class, it, it broke down our lives into spiritual gifts, our heart, our abilities, our personalities, and our experiences. That is what shapes who you are. Your spiritual gifts you've been given, how are you using them? Your, your heart for ministry, your heartbeat for what God has put into your life, that thing that really drives you, are you following it? Um, your, your abilities, God has given some of you some amazing abilities to do things and some of you some other amazing abilities to do things. Are we using those? Your personality, some of you are just outgoing beyond belief and you can talk to anybody. Are you doing it? Some of you are as introverted as possible and you say, I'm not talking to anybody, all I'm going to do is sit over here in the corner. Are you using that gift? I know you're thinking, how do you use that gift? Because there's other people that are just like you that have that same personality and you're like, I'd rather just sit here in the corner like, I'll sit by you. And then all of a sudden, there's this weird conversation that might start. You, know, you, you never know what might happen. Our personalities do it. And our experiences. How many experiences do you have in your life that help you connect with somebody else, to help you engage with somebody else? We've all been gifted to serve. I mean, I love what it says in verse 11 again. It says, if anyone speaks, let it be as one who speaks God's words. If anyone serves, let it be from the strength that God provides so that who might be glorified? That God might be glorified. It's not my words, it's not my abilities, it's not my experiences. It's what God has given to me to give back to Him, to use, to share, to connect. We've all been given our gifts. We need to do our part. Yesterday, I came across an article about a guy by the name of Brandon Bostick. Some of you might know that name, mainly as Packers fans who absolutely hated the guy. The reason why they hated the guy is because there was two minutes and nine seconds left in the NFC Championship game what, uh, four or five years ago. And Seattle Seahawks were down by four. And they kicked an onside kick. Brandon Bostick had a job. His job was to block for Jordy Nelson. So Jordy Nelson, the guy with the best hands on the team, could catch the ball. We'd win the game. We'd go to the Super Bowl. However, Brandon thought it in his mind that he would go ahead and jump up and try and catch that ball. Well, when he did, it bounced off his helmet. Bouncing off his helmet, Seattle recovered, went down, scored a touchdown. Aaron Rodgers let it back down. We kicked a field goal, went into overtime. We lost in overtime. He got lit up on the internet. He had so much social media stuff. The guy's a believer. And the article I was actually reading was his testimony of how he hasn't played football since. He actually got let go by the Packers the next day. But he hasn't played football since. And he talks about how his whole life, his whole identity, everything he had he thought was in football, but he realized the only way to get through all this was with Jesus Christ. But one of the things he kept saying, he goes, one thing I've learned more than anything else, do the job you've been given. 
He goes, I tried to do the job that I thought I could do, and I ruined it. And he said, I got so much hate mail, death threats, all kinds of stuff, because Green Bay Packers fans are crazy. But the, the, the reality, when you look at it, we have a job to do, and when we all do our job, that's what helps us win. If we don't do our job, it, was, it has a tendency to bring us back. So we have been given the gifts. Use your gifts to serve. Next thing, we've been commissioned to serve. We've been commissioned to serve. John 15, chapter, or chapter 15, verse 12 says this. This is my command. Love one another as I have loved you. No one has greater love than this to lay down his life for his friends. You are my friends if you do what I command you. I do not call you servants anymore because a servant does not know what the master is doing. I call you friends because I have made known to you everything I have heard from my father. You did not choose me, but I chose you. And I appointed you to go. I have commissioned you to go and produce fruit that your fruit should remain so that whatever you ask the Father in my name, he will give you. This is what I've commanded you, love one another. This passage tells us two things. It commands us to love and it commissions us to serve. It commands us to love and it commissions us to serve. See, the great commission that's found in Matthew chapter, 20, Matthew chapter 28 says, go and make disciples. As you are going, make disciples. Well, he says right here the same thing. I appointed you to go. That word appointed in the thesaurus means to be chosen, to be commissioned, or to be commanded. To go and do what? Well, it says go and produce fruit. What kind of fruit is that? Well, it's love. It's joy. It's peace. It's patience. It's gentleness. It's kindness. It's self-control. It's the things, the fruit of the Holy Spirit. But it's also to produce disciples. It's also to be a part in investing in people's lives. We make disciples by what it says here, laying down our own selfish desires, to lay down our life for our friends and pour into others to serve others. We are commissioned to serve. But the final one, and I don't want to make this sound anything too over the top, but I'm just going to be honest with you. You are needed to serve. We are needed to serve. It's not just that we are created to serve or saved to serve or gifted to serve or called to serve or commissioned to serve. We are needed to serve. 1 Corinthians chapter 12, starting in verse 12, is Paul breaking down this idea of the team, the body. It says, just as the one body is one and has many parts, and all the parts of that body, though many are one body, so also is Christ. For if we are all baptized by one spirit into the body, whether Jews or Greeks, whether slaves or free, and we are all given one spirit to drink. Indeed, the body is not one part, but many. If the foot just say, because I'm not a hand, I don't belong to the body, it's not for the reason any less part of the body. And if the ear should say, because I am not an eye, I don't belong to the body, is it not for the reason any less part of the body? If the whole body were an eye, where would the hearing be? If the whole body were an ear, where would the sense of smell be? But as it is, God arraigned each one of the parts of the body just as he wanted. You are who you are because that's what God wanted. He wants you to be that part of the body. And if they were all parts the same, where would the body be? As it is, there are many parts but one body. The eye cannot say to the hand, I don't need you. Or again, the head can't say to the feet, I don't need you. On the contrary, those parts of the body that are weaker are indispensable. And those parts of the body that we consider less honorable, we clothe with the greater honor. And our unrespectable parts are treated with greater respect, which our respectable parts do not need. Instead, God has put the body together, giving great honor to the less honorable, so that there would be no division in the body, but that the members would have the same concern for each other. They have the same goal in mind. If one member suffers, all the members suffer with it. If one member is honored, all the members will rejoice with it. Now you are the body of Christ 
the individual members of it. See, we're all part of the team. We're all part of the team. We're needed. We are needed. If one member doesn't engage, it creates all kinds of havoc for everybody else. I can tell you this. Uh, we had a softball team when we very first started the church. And I was the coach. And you know what? I hated being the coach. And you know why I hated being the coach? Because five minutes before the game was to begin, there would only be eight people. You need 11 to play, and you need at least nine to have a fielded team to say you can compete. And I'm scrambling around trying to find just one more person. And, of course, you get that, oh, you know, I I was going to call you, but I forgot, and now you're up a creek, and I'm sitting at home watching TV. It would just frustrate me to no end. Well, guess what? Unfortunately, it doesn't just happen on the softball field. There's many a Sunday morning when we get the phone call 15 minutes before of, hey, I've got this issue, or hey, uh, and, and Christy's like scrambling going, dear God, please give me the grace of Jesus before I kill somebody. Am I right? Am I speaking words into your life? Yeah, maybe, maybe not quite that dramatic. That's me. I'm, I'm saying it in my office. But the reality is you are needed. We are all needed. And, and as we engage in the church, I tell you, there are some real blessings that are involved in engaging in the church and engaging in service. And the first one we get to see is we get to see the church body function as God had planned. On Friday, I turned 43 years old. And yeah, I made it. I'm so excited. I'm hoping for 44 now. You know, just every year. It's it's just another thing I'm looking forward to. But some of you look at me and you say, man, you're old, Matt. And others, you look at me and you're like, you're just a kid. But those of you who are saying that I'm just a kid, and those of you maybe even looking at me like I'm old, here's the reality. Every day that I wake up that I don't feel pain, that some part of my body isn't aching or cracking or popping, I rejoice in my heavenly Father that I'm having a good day, that my body is functioning properly. Well, guess what? When the church body functions properly, I think God wakes up and says, I'm so glad my church is doing what I've created them to do, that it's not hurting as I do that. My fingers are actually cracking. Uh, But... There's a reality in what we do as we engage. We rejoice when our whole body is functioning properly. And here's some other things that I think when we understand that we are needed to serve and we actually serve. When you serve, you get to experience God's amazingness. You know one thing I I always think about is the guys who at the wedding at Cana where Jesus performed his first wedding that, that filled up the giant water jars. Do you know that they're just basic servants? carrying a giant, huge 30-gallon water jar, which is probably massively heavy, by the way. And, and they're carrying this thing. They're the only ones that knew that it was water in that jar that turned into wine. Nobody else was like, they're like, hey, do something about the wine, Jesus. That was mom talking. You know, people were like, where's the good wine? Wine came out. Nobody said, oh, that water turned. The only people that really knew were the servants. They got to see God's amazingness firsthand. Basic, ordinary servants. When you get the blessing of worshiping God in a whole new way. See, as you offer your body as a living sacrifice, you get to experience this spiritual act of worship and serving. You get to be like Jesus. Like I said, he came to, be, uh, came to serve and not be served because it was never about him. One of the things you get to do is we even talk about connection next week. You get to connect and bond with those you work with. The ones you're serving alongside with, you, you have that bond, you have that building of team as you serve. Serving, I believe, increases your faith because when you get out of the holy huddle, 
and you go out there and you have to put your faith in God. You say, God, I, I might not be able to do this as well. He says, just put your faith in me. I'm going to use you for my glory and my honor. And finally, I think it's soul food. It's soul food. Because when you really stop and think about it, that, that food that feeds us on the inside, that makes us feel alive, scientific studies say that more people who serve have better health mentally and physically than people who don't. Scientific studies, I think God already told us that well before. We get energized. So can I challenge you today to engage in the church? Can I challenge you to give and to serve, to give of yourself in the five T's, the talent and the testimony and the time and the treasure and your temple? Can I, can I challenge you to do that today? Uh, you know, as we look at the time, as we look at the talents, we look at even the testimony, we've been talking about share your story. Just share your story. Open God, my, my eyes, open the door, open my mouth, open their hearts. We've been praying that. Can, can you share your story? Uh, how about this? Give of your temple and, and of your treasure. Out there on the, on the table is a, um, your giving statements for 2018. So if you gave, you can grab one of those. We don't have to have a stamp to mail it to, so make sure you grab one of those on your way out. But it's interesting to me uh, about giving to the church. Uh, my dad actually called me this week. Um, my dad gave uh, to help out uh, Camden and I to go to Honduras, so it was a tax-deductible gift. So he got a giving uh, statement in the mail. Go, he called me. He's like, what am I supposed to do with this? And me, just being, I've been in church my whole life, I'm like, well, you apply it to your taxes. He's like, oh, really? Well, that's an added bonus. <laughs> and I went, yes, it is an added bonus. But the real bonus is what? Getting to see that money go towards seeing lives changed. So thank you for those of you who did give last year. And as you continue to give, and we pray that God opens those doors and opens those hearts and opens those minds and opens those mouths, that we can see his church grow, not just because we want to fill up seats, but because we want to see his kingdom grow. Engage with God. See with his eyes. Feel with his heart. Love his gospel and see your life lived in a whole new way. That, that's what this whole thing is about engaging. Can I challenge you to engage? And some of you might be a little bit scared. You're like, well, I just, I just don't think I can do it. Can I ask you just to picture it in this way for me? Picture riding a bike. When you learned to ride a bike, did you sit down and study the manuals on how to ride a bike? Did you, did you look at the laws of physics on how that thing can be up on two wheels with my heavy weight on top of it? Was that the, the thinking that went through your mind? Did you say, I need to go back in the back room and I need to work my legs so my quads don't burn when I'm pedaling, so i, I got to get myself ready for this. Did you do those things or did you just get on the bike, maybe with the assistance of some training wheels, maybe with the assistance of mom or dad's hand on your back or on the bottom of the seat just kind of holding you and letting you go, letting you learn as you go. Maybe you might fall, but guess what? You're going to start to figure it all out. Can I challenge you to approach this engagement like riding a bike? Let's just get on the bike and let's go. That might sound Mormon, but the, the, the thing is, is, I just thought of that as I said it out loud, but the, the thing is, can, can we just go, can we just get out there and engage this culture with the gospel of Jesus Christ? Can we do that today? Let's pray. Father, thank you for who you are, and thank you for what you do, and thank you for the way you work in our lives, and, and the way that you engaged us first, the way that you cared about us first. And God, in that, you have created us for your purposes, for your honor, for your glory, for your praise. And I know today, even as we come and we sing songs and we hear your word and we are challenged, 
God, that, that is a praise to you. But may it not just be us talking in a huddle, but may we put this game plan into action. May we take that next step to go out there and engage culture. We know there's going to be a defensive battle that comes against us, but God, you are greater. You are stronger. You are more. Help us to use your strength. As it even said in that verse, if we're going to serve, serve in your strength. Help us to take that step. Maybe it's serving in the kids' area and talking to Christy. Maybe it's talking to, to Bianca and Mir about working in the nursery. Maybe it's talking to, to Lori about working on respite nights. Maybe it's talking to, to Natalie about helping do cleaning in the church once a week. Now, you've gifted us all in different areas. I pray that today you are speaking to us what those areas look like and where we should step up to stop just being fans, admirers, and, and cheering from the sidelines, but instead got to get into the game. You've challenged us to do this. I pray that we answer that call. We pray it all in your name. Amen. I'm going to jump down here in the front, and I'd love to talk to you. I'd love to talk to you about a place that you can serve at. Um, I'll point out, Christy is right here. She would love to talk to you about working in the children's ministry. Natalie is back there in that corner. She'd like to talk to you about cleaning. Uh, uh, and Miriam's back there. She'd like to talk to you. Where's Lori? I know I saw her earlier. She's working, she's working in the back. So you can talk to her back in the back about serving those areas. If there's something specific, you're like, you know what? You didn't kind of mention where I think I'm at. Tell me. I'll point you in the right direction. Trust me. I would love to see you engaged and engaged in the church. I'll be down here in the front. Joel? As Matt's talking about the team, um, one thing I can't help but think of is you know, he's wearing the jersey, and I wear the jersey. I put all my family in the jersey on Sunday. And I always say, yeah, we won. But in reality, I'm not a part of the team. The coach doesn't call me up and say, Jerome, why weren't you at the game? And as much as I'd like to claim that I was a part of the team, I'm really not. I'm just, I'm in the stands watching. And I think sometimes in the church, there are some of us who are just watching. And we wear the jersey, but we've never actually accepted Jesus, made Jesus Lord, and therefore became a part of the team. Again, I, one of the, my scriptures that I'm, going through in my memorization process now is 2 Corinthians chapter 5, verse 17 to 21, but it starts off by saying, therefore, if anyone is in Christ, he's a new creation. The old has passed and see the new has come. If you don't have that moment where you are a part of the team, how about we make that happen? I would say consider the cost, though, before jumping into it, because it is a weighty price. But we need you if you feel God is calling you. We need to be a part of this team. So if you feel like God is calling you and you're, you're, you know for certain that I know of Jesus, but Jesus doesn't necessarily know me. We don't have a relationship. Well, let's settle that. Let's pray about it. If you don't want to do it now, let's wait till after service. But let's take care of that.